Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the Peace on Drugs podcast. I got to tell you about this new drug I found out about. It's amazing. It's recreational. It's free. Uh, I recommend everybody try it at least twice. I tried it. I loved it. The first thing I noticed, I was super high on life because I got to go out in public and not worry about getting sick. Vaccine, 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 vaccine. I'm begging of you, please get your vaccine. Scientists have wiped smallpox from the earth. Cause everyone got vaccinated soon after birth. We can do the same for COVID if everyone gets in line. So please get your vaccine. And I promise you'll be fine I know you might have heard Bill Gates and planting microchips But I wouldn't need that tracking microphone to still a flip Vaccine, 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 vaccine I'm begging of you, please get your vaccine I know that Alex Jones says you'll be dead within ten years Listen to that psycho, he's just preying on your fears. Or maybe you're afraid that it was synthesized too fast. But you drink and smoke and you do lines off any stripper's ass. Vaccine, 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 vaccine. I'm begging of you, please get your vaccine. Get your vaccine, people. Hey, Peace Nicks. Thanks for tuning in to the Peace on Drugs podcast. Uh, please go to thepeaceondrugs.com. Sign up for our email list to receive all important info on new episodes and special events. Follow me on Twitter, at Aaron Akoulis. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, the Peace on Drugs podcast. And most of the fake commercials I do for the podcast have video. This week's, um, uh, this week's fake advertisement, sort of fake advertisement, was for... The vaccine, because me and my sister get into a little, we get off on a tangent about the vaccines, and we both do uh, believe the vaccines to be safe. Um, I know nobody seems to want to trust the CDC or government or anything. There's a lot of conspiracy theories kind of run rampant with this last Trump administration. I'm not saying none of it's true. Um, I know that the government has done some really nefarious shit, so um, I myself do not trust them on a lot of things. However, it is in the government's best interest to have a safe and healthy population uh, for a, a solid workforce so they can people can keep consuming and keep creating and that's what they want um, i think i wish they would see the drug war that way if they would end the drug war they could profit off of it in a way uh, in a way that would make people more healthy and the whole society would turn better i'm not exactly sure why they don't realize that but um i picked that uh, the vaccine because of the tangent and um it wasn't even really much of a commercial more just of a, a public health announcement sort of in a song we were funny and also when we were thinking when we were writing the song and like the parody on jolene i was like uh or meg goes he's like we couldn't have been the first to think of this so i looked up vaccine um jolene parody and it was already a thing that dolly parton herself did and, um, but she just, I, I don't know if it was released as an actual recording or but she, I, what I saw, she was just sitting in a chair telling people to get a vaccine and she sang that. She just uh, had, a, had a, a few verses for it. So we weren't the first to think of it. Dolly Parton herself, obviously, 
uh, was a little fast on the, quicker on the draw on that one. So today's guest is my sister. She was on, she was the second guest and she's already back for the 11th episode, but uh, she, she, I told her to listen to um, Johan Hari's Chasing the Scream on Audible, so she did. So, and I re-listened to it so we could kind of dive more into that book and more into the topics of that book. And she thought it was just a really excellent book. But um, she, her and her family came down to Florida and spent a week in Siesta Key. So my wife and I drove up to spend some time with her and her family. And I said, well, while I'm up there, since you know the first one was done over the phone, sound quality's not as good. I was like, let's do one in person. So. In my hotel room, I set up a I set up a makeshift studio, and we sat there and we did a podcast. I think it turned out pretty good, so we're gonna jump right in. America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug drugs are menacing our society. Any thoughts on the drug problem? I had a great time doing drugs. So tonight, from our family to yours, from our home to yours, thank you for joining us. This is the piece on drugs. drugs. And we're live. I'm here with my sister, Kristen, for our second podcast together, Kristen Jones. Um, The first podcast she did remotely from um, right outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, and I'm in Florida. But we are both in Siesta Key. We are doing this podcast from my hotel room. Uh, So it's good to have you here. It's good to have been spending some time with you. Yeah, it's been really nice so far. Yeah, so... um, we uh, let's talk about just if if people didn't hear the first podcast, you have your master's in Latin American studies and um, my undergraduate degrees in Spanish. So I definitely studied a lot about U.S. Latin American relations and U.S. policies towards Latin America, and really it was really eye opening because all of these policies we just didn't learn about in high school so when I started getting into Spanish and Latin America I was really surprised to hear all of the involvement that we've had and you know anytime they would try to have some kind of socialist movement to take back from the um, capital capitalism and imperialism that was draining their economies, we would just come in and say, no, you can't do that. Economic sanctions, that doesn't work. We'll do covert operations and train guerrillas to take over. You're not going to take our businesses away and um, we're going to continue to exploit your country's natural resources and pay the workers nothing and drain your whole country. So it it was a very big eye-opener and and I just thought it was fascinating because we didn't learn about that. So. Yeah, I definitely didn't learn about it in high school. And you had me read that book, Latin, Latin Veins of uh, Open Veins of Latin America. Yes. Really good book, um, really informative. That book's been uh, banned in a lot of places, and or it was back when it was written in the '70s, I believe it was written. Yeah, it, it yes, it was so, right yeah. around that early yeah. '70s. So they said it was banned. Yeah. It was a book that was passed along in secret from people, yeah. you know, because they weren't allowed to know that information yeah. by regimes that were propped up by the U.S. military yes. or secret military. Yes, we put in power so many brutal military dictatorships and you know we people are so uneducated when it comes to um, they they link capitalism and democracy as the free and uh, communism and socialism as the dictatorships and and for some reason we just can't escape that but there were capitalist democratic military dictatorships all throughout Latin America that committed human rights abuses you would not believe, mass genocides, um, you know, 
they interrogated people, d people disappeared, and the government's the one that did it, the government that we put in power and wouldn't let leave power. Um, well, because the U.S. hasn't always supported democracy in these places, right? They've been like, no, you, you got the wrong person and you voted the wrong person and we're going to put in a tyrant. Yeah, I mean, they would actually elect a socialist, um, nationalist, populist leader that wanted to start reinvesting in their their country and not let the United States exploit their natural resources and their labor, and we just shut it down. So we have a long history of that that people don't know about. So it's really angering to hear people speak so badly about, well, they're so poor down there, and we just send them all this money, and and they just, and why do we send them so much of our taxpayer money? And they have no idea how much the United States has exploited that country and made them yeah. that poor. Our way of living was is, is on the backs of third world labor. Yes. So, so our quality of life, the fact you can go to a job and, and minimum wage, for instance, in Florida is going up to $15 an hour, which is, which is um, great, I guess. I'm not an economist. I don't know how it's going to affect jobs. But um, you don't understand how lucky you are to, to live in a place where they're going to you, you can go to a job and make en enough money to live we live good even if you're poor you have air conditioning and you have refrigeration and you have you, most people have a car or have a way of, of transportation is easy reading those books about people that are working that we exploit in like the tin mines and stuff yeah. their life expectancy is under under 40 years old because of the diseases they get from breathing in all the dust in the yeah. mines and and we made the trade laws to say that you can't you can only export raw material you can't export you can't build things and then export them because then you'll make all the you'll, all the money will come from your country or go to your country. So you got to export the stuff dirt cheap to us. Then we'll build stuff and sell it back to you and use you know that that's it's how yeah. we exploit their. It's it's really sad what's happened to Latin America and then to link into the drug war. Uh, we have on top of that, so we've made their economies really poor and and that leaves only a few options to make money and one of the big ones has been selling drugs and and participating in in the drug war exactly in that well, way. I think so. Pablo Escobar was like a almost like a Robin Hood type figure he was started yeah. this huge drug trade made billions and gave a lot of it back to the poor uh, in Colombia I mean they, they, they worshiped him and until he waged war on his own government but that's they, they were the, the whole war against drugs, the way it was ways, it was looked at as he was a terrorist, but it wasn't, we're never looked at as a terrorist for what we've done, bombing and raiding their fields and oh uh, all the stuff that the United States has been involved in. I mean, and this is not just in South, South America. I mean, this goes across to um, like what happened in Iran. I just watched Argo again, kind of a cool movie, but uh, with what happened with those uh, American embassy people that were hiding in the Canadian ambassador's oh, ha home. Yeah, but it had to do with the U.S. government basically set up, we went over there, created a coup, I think it was us in Great Britain or something, we created a coup and we overthrew their government to put in the people we want and they ended up overthrowing that government and basically they're like, death to America. I mean, because we, we screwed over their country really bad. Yeah. And I'm, I, don't, I don't know a lot about that. I watched a movie. Yeah, <laughs> but, but, but I mean, that's essentially what we did in almost every Latin American country. So we, you know, you can't say we don't owe them because we do. I mean, we have really... Screwed their uh, so let me ask you this though about the drug war. Do you think if we legalize, if we go, if we go the route that I want to go, and it might not happen in my lifetime, but I think eventually we ultimately need to go there, where we legalize drugs like cocaine, and you can go to a, a cocaine place and get cocaine from some sort of doctor kind of figure that makes sure you're not abusing it, blah blah blah. 
should we be should we buy the cocaine from Colombia and let the the Mexican cart like the system they have should they be able to profit off it or should we shut them down and keep them poor and all of a sudden we're making our own cocaine and we don't need them anymore? Oh my gosh! Based on the past, that's probably what will end up happening. But I mean, I think any kind of free market economy where we can have fair trade agreements to still buy from them would be great. I do. And we do really owe it to them because we've really been buying it illegally and forcing it upon the whole world to, to even participate in making it this illegal. Everything became illegal because we wanted it to. We pushed it on the United Nations. We pushed it on Mexico. Um, and they, now if you're a member of the United Nations, you can't legalize without, um, you're going to have some problems. They're going to I don't know what exactly they do. It's a big problem if you're a member of the United Nations with legalizing drugs. And that's why Portugal didn't legalize, they decriminalized. Yeah. Because they couldn't just straight up legalize because they're a member of the United Nations. So. Yeah, but I do think that the best thing that we can do for Mexico just absolutely is legalize and decriminalize. I, I, I never gave it this much thought until you approached me about the podcast you were doing. And... I guess this is what I would like to say to the people that might be listening because you know you hear like oh uh, we're worried about the people that are doing drugs and you might just kind of brush it off like well that's not that big of an issue we have all these other more large issues that just matter so much more and that's so untrue and until you really open your mind enough to think about it from all of the angles and every aspect that the drug war has has touched in everybody's life you know for example if 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 immigration is a big deal to you and the flow of immigrants coming across the border and the kids being separated from their parents well that's directly linked to the drug war if if prison reform is a big issue for you if you have family members that have that can't get jobs because of criminal records because of nonviolent drug offenses if if you if even if you have family members that everyone's had people that have died of overdose, addicts in their family, of all kinds of things, if, if, if that is important to you, then this issue should be important to you because it has to change. The way we've been doing it is absolutely wrong. And I just never gave it that yeah, much also, thought. Also, gun violence. I mean, there's, if you're worried about, if you think that there's too many U.S., we have more gun deaths per year than any other country in the world. And also, it's not mass shootings. Don't get me wrong, that's a horrible thing when it happens, and it ha happens way more than it should, but most gun violent, most gun deaths are in inner cities um, from the drug trade, the drug wars. And it's not just people that are in the drug war. There are children that are, they ha I see it on the news all the time where I live, where some, uh, in the some kid got caught in the crossfire. If you ever seen the show like The Wire, I, I like to joke and call it the documentary series on HBO, but it's, uh, mm -hmm. but honestly, it, sh it does paint, I'm sure they Hollywood it up a little, but the thing is, is that living in those communities, you, you don't have to be involved in the drug game at all to, to be at risk of being shot and killed because of something you witnessed that you shouldn't have witnessed or just being in a room where a stray bullet flew through. So I, the, 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 that's an issue to you, gun deaths, and, you, and if you're one of those people like me that you don't want your guns taken, but you think it should be more safe, well, the, the drug war is causing a huge problem. Also in Mexico, our, our guns are going over there, and they are, they're being murdered in the streets to the point where, was it Juarez? Is that the city, the, the border town? Yes. Where the angels were. I want to say it was. It was Juarez. Ciudad Juarez. Yeah. Yeah. I think and so, yeah. and um, they they said like that they, they got so like at first people would were freaked out because there was chopped up bodies in the street and they would like lose their shit and then now 
they don't even look bat an eye. They just keep walking, go to work because they're so used to seeing bodies chopped up. And it's absolute anarchy. And yeah. the thing is, it's because and you could say, well, these are murderous, horrible cartels, and they all should be shot and killed. Well, the problem is we've created an illegal market where where you have to be intimidating because if you're not if you're not the strongest, the most brutal force, then the other cartel is going to take you over. So they're constantly making outdoing each other with how horrible they can be. And if you legalize the market and you made them not to fight the police, those horrible drug gangs could turn into a legitimate it, it, it sucks to think that these horrible people that have chopped people up would be able to make money legally but the truth is you want to make it a safer place for the people that live there and you don't do it by trying to lock up all the all the cartel members it's just going to continue to be violent what you do is you just legalize and let mexico figure out how to handle their drug cartels and allow their drug cartels to move into a legal system because that's the safest way for to be for mexicans and for people all in those other little countries you know in central america that are fleeing here because of drug violence that we could end by simply legalizing these drugs. It's that simple. And like I say, don't legalize. What we're doing in the, uh, some of these states with legalizing marijuana, I shouldn't call it marijuana, it's cannabis. Marijuana was a racist term um, used to uh, basically say that the Mexicans were coming over here and they're bringing their crazy marijuana, um, which is actually a slang term for tobacco that we put on cannabis to make white people scared of the uh, Mexicans that were gonna smoke their crazy marijuana and then rape your women. But um, the uh, what was that? Was that? <laughs> you know, about the current, oh, the what we're doing in the, uh, the uh, certain places where we legalize cannabis, that we're giving a higher percentage to the black community who have been hit hurt the most by the war on drugs, allowing them to get a chunk of that money from the from the profiting off of marijuana. I think we should do the same with cocaine. The countries that have been hurt the worst, they should be able to profit off of legal cocaine. We shouldn't just move it up to here, yeah. which we probably won't do it that way, just knowing us. But yeah, absolutely. So do you want to talk about the book that we both just read? So. Yes. So this is a book I've probably talked about every single podcast and my yes. listeners are, might be tired of me hearing about it. But, so Johan Hari. So I just did the Audible book the first time I've done the audio version, um, but I wanted to read it again. And I have so many other things I'm trying to read, like Dr. Carl Hart's I'm reading right now. So I did the audio. I said, Kristen, why don't you listen to the audio? We can both have something to talk about in Siesta Key. Yeah. So here we are. We both just finished the audio book. Go. Well, no, it was a great book. Like I, some parts of it just made me so mad because this is one thing that I, the last podcast I talked about my ex-husband who died at 25 years old of an opioid overdose. And, um, you know, let me just start at the beginning. Uh, Everybody, everybody in some way has been touched by drugs whether it's an addict that you love, any, uh, you know, someone that's overdosed, just, you know, we, and, and one thing he says in the book that, that really stuck with me is with the, with the, someone that you love that's an addict, you aren't thinking, oh, I, I want them, uh, I hope the police come arrest them and put them in a concrete cell for this. You're, you're thinking, I love them, I want them to get help, I want them to get better. Um, so your last guest said, you know, taking the drug uh, use out of the, politi- the uh, criminal justice system and moving it into the healthcare system, like that makes sense. That, that's exactly yes, what definitely. we have to do. And, and it is a healthcare problem. And, you know, we're not sitting here thinking like, I, I didn't think, oh, he's such a bad person. And, you know, I thought he needs help. And I was really young uh, and we got married really young. And 
I didn't know where to get help. And that's one thing that just angers me when I'm listening to this and other countries that are starting to make changes and really help these addicts to get cleaned up and to get help and that I didn't know where to go or what to do. And I don't, I don't want anyone listening to think that I just gave up on him. We had the whole, you know, where cycles of him getting cleaned up and getting back on and, um, you know, him lying about it, all the stuff that comes with being with an addict. So it, it was several years of, of struggle and pain and heartache and and eventually I just didn't know what to do and it, it's not fair to me and it definitely wasn't fair to him that I didn't know what to do for him. So we ended up getting a divorce and then he died of an overdose and he talks about in this book the main point of the book is he he says uh, based on the United Nations um, Council on Drug Abuse or something like that 90% of people that try any given drug are not going to become addicts the other 10% he wanted to know why do they become addicts and and we have this idea that it's the chemical hook and and we definitely need to talk about that some but uh oh my gosh well so one of the things in the books about like why addiction happens is the story of the water buffaloes i just talked about one of my last specials you remember that part yes the water buffaloes they won't mess with the opiates they don't really like the opiates um or the poppies and the poppies because it uh, makes them tired or whatever but then um they uh when the U.S. started dropping bombs in Vietnam, the water buffalo, buffalo all started in large numbers, got huge anxiety. And I think about my dog when a thunderstorm happens, or July 4th when we're, we're making a, a, you know, a simulation of war by blowing up fireworks and firecrackers, and my dog shakes in the corner until, the, until they stop blowing things up. Well, that's the water buffalo. Now they're shaking. They're like, what's going on? So they start munching on poppies. And, I, and that's what I was talking about in the last special. I was like, well, that's people. People. We have bombs going off all around us, whether it's through sexual abuse or violence in your home or whatever it was that, that made you tremble, shake in the corner, and you ran for drugs. And then what do we do? We go, oh, you're on heroin. What's wrong? What's going on with you? Do you need help? No, we put you in a cage and we go, you're an addict. You're a piece of shit. Like, yeah. It, I mean, it, it's really horrible. But so so his conclusion is he, he sets out to discover what is it that makes this 10% get hooked and this other 90% can do the drug, enjoy it, have fun with it, and never get hooked. And um, he, he ultimately comes to the conclusion that it's isolation and trauma. So when, I, when I'm hearing this, I'm thinking, man, uh, you know, Justin didn't have, he, he had a great dad, he had a great brother. He didn't have, uh, and his grandmother was awesome, but he didn't have a lot of other support in his life and um, definitely his relationship with his mom was very not there, non-existent. So uh, when I left him, that threw him into more isolation and trauma. And at the time, you know, I, I feel it's so angering because I wasn't educated on, on drug use and drug addiction. And I just, you know, we always, this is our society tells us, well, just leave them. You're going to have to just, they just can't. Tough love over true love. Yes. It should be true love. Over and love. I mean, being a young, a young woman and I just, I was in a really bad place, uh, emotionally and we actually had lost a baby and I just was in a horrible place. I hated my job. I was coming home to just chaos and um and 
you know that and then he ended up overdosing after that and it was that it was really hard on me I felt a lot of guilt I thought maybe I could have still saved him and I maybe I shouldn't have left him like that it it's yeah, just you definitely can't do that to yourself no. yeah and no and I mean I'm I'm I've moved past it I just think so many people have that same experience and it's not fair and it's because of the drug war so it is and that's what bothers me about addiction is that um, it, it is really hard to deal with an addict, and you and you you want to so like I have a friend I won't give no names, but who's d- addicted really bad to opiates, and mainly um, I've talked to him, and it's hard to know what to believe with an addict, but he says he's mainly on methadone now. Every once in a while he'll slip up and go get some fentanyl, um, but the, he said well, one of the last times he did fentanyl, he he passed out and didn't remember falling asleep and just woke up and like because it was a lot stronger than he thought. He's like that could have been the last time I, I you know ever saw this world. Mm-hmm. And um, but what bothers me the most is that it doesn't have to be like that. He doesn't have to be addicted. The problem is methadone is not an enjoyable drug. It basically it creates a bland existence for you, but it stops the withdrawals. But if so, he got addicted to oxycotton, and oxycotton was overprescribed. So what you have is you know, have an addiction. I have a populace, certain po- part of the populace is addicted to opiates that were overprescribed. And then what does the U.S. government do? Oh, we have a problem with opiates. Everybody's on your drugs. So what do you do? cut off the supply immediately, stop doing that, and then you find the companies. None of that, I don't know if any of that money went to um, help to rehabilitation, but I know there's nothing offering for my friend. There's no like, hey, all that billions of dollars those companies had to pay, well, they're opening up uh, treatment centers for people like you that got screwed in this whole deal. No, they're not. And um, if they and, and also when they cut off their prescriptions, all they did is all these addicts weren't like, oh, now, now that I don't have your drug anymore, I guess I'm cured. No, now they're going to the streets and they're dying from fentanyl. You should have also made it a point of they need, now you need to give them prescriptions and with their prescriptions for these drugs come therapy. That's what you needed to do. They didn't do that. So now you have people dying of overdoses that are 100% avoidable. That's the step and what's infuriating thing is that they're avoidable. Yeah. Every There's 105 people every day in this country, Americans die from a drug overdose that's avoidable, 100% avoidable. What the fuck are we doing? Yeah, no, yeah, it's it is angering. It really, really is. Oh, it's something I heard. I was watching intervention the other day. This is, goes with our our mentality. I'm watching intervention, thinking like this might be a good research. So I'm just and not just say like this is a good show about drug addiction, but I'm gonna see how how they're gonna sell it on this stupid reality show. And one of the first things I see is this woman freaking out. She's probably our age or something, and she's clearly on meth or something. And, and they're putting into the cop car. They're arresting her, and then the the doctor goes, she is really sick and really in a bad place right now. So jail's a really good thing for her. Oh my God. You're a doctor? What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Have you heard of a hospital? She's really sick? Listen to yourself. She's sick. Jail's going to be a great place for her. Yeah. What in the world are we... Yeah. Are, this is absolute insanity. Our society is insane. It is. It, it really is. And, and um, the the book talks about what... Well, yeah, I guess we should talk about this, but the pharmaceutical theory of addiction, which is basically he's saying what we believe and what we've always been told and we really especially us we're in our 30s our generation was super brainwashed like we went through dare and uh, we had a cop come to our school and tell us how bad drugs were and we didn't even know what drugs were and the kids that did know what drugs were their parents were were probably doing drugs and they're about to be in this spiral of out of control because of the drug war too but you know um but he basically says um if you expose 
uh, a person to enough of a certain substance that they would be, if it's day in and day out, they will eventually become an addict. Because there's chemical hooks. Because the chemical hooks. But he said, then he's like, but if this was true, then every person who'd been prescribed for any length of time a uh, pharmaceutical drug at the hospital, maybe you went in for cancer, all these people, we just have addicts everywhere. And that's not the case. Um, Well, Vietnam's a great example. The soldiers that were over there, got addicted to heroin because they were in a highly stressful situation and there was a whole fear that when they came back here we were going to have a, a whole bunch of addicts on our hands and most of them quit doing using as soon as they got back here. Exactly. Like 90%. It's that 10% that, that didn't. But Yeah. And he he uh, he he did a great job of like going to so many sources and looking at scientific studies and then people studies, but one of the ones that he looked at was the rat park experiment. That's one of the best experiments. Yes. You, I'll let you explain it. I'll, I've explained it on previous podcasts. So yeah. See. Well, basically, our whole this whole pharmaceutical theory of addiction, as he calls it, um, was based on the original rat experiment, where they took one rat and they put him in this little box and they gave him uh, morphine. Was it morphine? I believe it was a choice between morphine and water, and then and a few. They did a few different experiments. Cocaine and morphine were the two they used. Okay. So he's in there. He's isolated. It's basically a jail prison. And he has the choice to drink water or take this drug. So he takes the drug, he takes it, takes it, takes it, and then he dies. And they say, see, he got hooked, and it was because of the chemical that he kept going back. And they, they don't take into account his environment at all. So, so this other scientist comes along and says, well, that doesn't make any sense. If we do that to a person, they, that doesn't work for them. So he makes what they call rat park, where they have other rats they can screw and activities to do. And they also give them the choice of drugs or water. And, um, and in this case, when, they have, when they're happy and fulfilled, 95% of the time, they don't hit up the drug. So almost exclusively, they go for the water. So that's telling you, number one, it's not the chemical hook. It actually was the environment. You can't have you're going to create an addict by putting them exactly. in a, and in most a, people that come from good homes that don't have abuse as early in early childhood and their parents don't get divorced they have a very low rate of addiction whereas people that have, go through traumatic events in their lives have a lot higher rate of addiction because they turn to drugs to to help to it helps them feel better to feel something and so uh, that's a and so what we've done with our current system with the jails and the prison system is we've recreated the first version for people yeah the, the, the first rat experiment is what we've created in our prison system to keep people addicted. And as soon as they get out, now you can't get a job. You have nothing. You're isolated. More drugs. More jail. Yeah. What in the hell are no, we doing? It, it's crazy. And that's another thing I, I, I will say about Justin. He was, he did have a felony and it was a drug felony. Um, and he, if I'm remembering this correctly, he was caught when he was 17, but tried as an adult. And so this felony was on his record. So from the time he was 17 years old, he couldn't, when we started trying to look for a place to live together, we couldn't even live in government housing. We couldn't live anywhere. We ha- I happened to have a friend whose mom had a house on a side of town I probably wouldn't normally live on. And that's where we were forced to go. We didn't, and I'm, I mean, it was for selling a small amount of ecstasy him and one of his friends were selling to an undercover cop and they didn't know it they were selling small amounts of pills i'm talking about 10 or 20 pills but also it was one or two here and there and the guy would would buy and then go away buy go away and over you know and then every time they buy they'd add it to the charges but they didn't know they were selling to a cop so they kept letting them sell sell until they have about 20 pills 
whatever they needed to make it the worst felony they could charge him. Yeah. And then, okay, we have enough now. Go arrest him. Yeah. And they arrested him, tried him as an adult, and slapped him with a felony. All right, so they, they and they got, uh, I don't think they did any prison time, but they did have a, a very strict parole. And they definitely went to jail. He had restricted probation. He had to be home every day at 6 o'clock. They would randomly stop by and check and see that he was there. He was drug tested during that time. And he was completely clean because he had to be. Yeah. But after the restricted probation ended and the probate, all of the probation ended, um, he couldn't get a job anywhere. He, he, it was, it is like he calls it the scarlet letter. Like it is the scarlet well, letter. You know what like, sucks is that so not only was he did he die of a drug overdose because we don't have the right help for people that are addicts, but he became an addict to begin with because he he couldn't get a normal job, a normal career. Yeah. They make him feel like a piece of shit. So why not go do drugs? Make yourself feel better. I mean, yeah. so there's so many things that led to his death that have to do with the stupid ass war on drugs. I know. And 17 years old. I mean, he got caught up in some. In, it's appealing to a teenager to make. The, oh, you can make this much money. You can go work at Subway and make nothing. I, it, and a lot of it, times, it's just to pay for your own drugs. You like doing ecstasy. You like doing a little coke here and there, whatever. But that shit's expensive on the streets. And people, women will sell their bodies to do drugs that they want, and men will sell drugs to get the things they want. Um, but people will do illegal things. They'll steal. People, the, all the crime that happens when you see someone, someone breaks in your house and steals something, if somebody's trying to pay for a drug addiction, legalize the drugs, regulate it, get the price down, get them help, crime's going to drop. There's so many, if you've never been affected by drugs in your life and you're like, I've never been affected, but somebody broke in your house and has stolen something at one point, that was most likely because of drugs. Yeah, or your car. or Yeah, that that's what I'm saying. I think very few people have not been affected. Like, everyone. I don't think there's one person that can, you can't live in this country not have in some way been affected by the war on drugs. Yes. I even think about TJ when he was my guest. He had a friend that, that hung himself because he was a Jehovah's Witness and he got caught doing meth. And the, the church Jehovah's Witness will excommunicate you for doing drugs. And TJ's yeah. like, you can't excommunicate him. He's, he's suicidal. And they're like, that's the rules. He'll, it's tough love. He'll be fine. He can come back when he's ready. He hung himself. That's what. That's the whole yeah. country. So it doesn't matter where you're at, how much much shelter you try to put yourself in to be uh, to not be involved with the dr- drugs. It's the war on drugs has made it such a disgusting underground thing that people, everybody gets involved with it. And you know, in Gastonia, all those tr- stories that are that we we laugh and tell them now about these funny things that happened when we were on drugs, like with me and Drew. And Drew is another friend of ours who's not no longer with us from a drug overdose. But um, a lot of them are just really kind of sick stories because there, it just there's a sickness with society that there's a cure for, but we're not willing to do it. I know, and I just think people don't realize that number one that they're being really closed-minded. Number two that they've been lied to for a really long time, and and it's well, it's almost like McCarthyism. Like it you, is. Well, so when you said lied to, that brings me back to the dare thing I was going to say, because I remember when, when dare programs came in. They were telling me about how horrible all these drugs were, and I remember being very fascinated by them because there was a story about um, about the peace guy on PCP that took the cops like eight shots to take him down. He kept coming at him. I was like, "So you're telling me there's like a superhero drug out there?" Like I'm a kid, but for the most part, I was scared of all these drugs. And I remember the first time I smoked marijuana, sorry, cannabis. First time I smoked pot with uh, Grant, with Grant Freeman, another one who's no longer with us because of the war on drugs. Mm-hmm. But it was me and him. He was like, "Let's smoke some pot." I was so nervous. I only hit it like once. I was scared, and I didn't smoke it anymore. The next day, I was like, well, that one hit was fine. I smoked a whole joint with him. Got super baked, and it was this crazy cool experience. But I remember when I was done, I was like, well, what other drugs were they lying about? Because that was fun. It didn't hurt me. I feel great. So immediately, I was like, I want to do other drugs. So that's how it became a gateway, because you lied to me about that. What else are you lying about? Oh, you're lying about all of it, pretty much? Pretty much the whole thing you taught us is just some government mind control program? Yeah, and another way it becomes a gateway is 
you smoke a little bit of weed, you get busted with it, now you have a criminal record, now you're in a bad place where you can't get a job, you can't, you're so screwed oh, over this stupid charge. It is, and it's, uh, you're on probation, you get drug tested. Cocaine only stays in your system for like two to three days. Marijuana stays in your, sorry, cannabis. <laughs> cannabis stays in your system for 30 days because it's oily, some of the oils in it. Anyway, you're gonna fail a drug test. So, well, I guess I can't smoke cannabis. I'll just do cocaine. I'll smoke crack. And then I can, two days before, if, if you're needing to do drugs to get out of your own head. Uh, we make it very hard for people when they're young in this country and they get a, they get a, a drug bust. And that's, that's another yeah. way it's a gateway. Another, also it's a gateway because when you go to your pot dealer, he has other stuff too. And he doesn't care old jars. He's not like, ah, oh, you gotta be 21 at my legal pot shop. Nope, mm -hmm. here's your pot. Also, I got any Xanax. Would you like to buy some of those? No, okay, I'm getting some uh, ketamine next week. I'll, you know, hit me up. Yeah, that's it, another thing that he talked about in the book, which I totally agreed with, and we know this from personal experience. Because alcohol, this is what he's saying. You take it off the illegal market, regulate it, tax it, make sure it's safe. Make sure, We already have the network in place to take, let's talk about weed just in general. We'll talk about cannabis. Um, we already have a network in place nationwide for a drug that, that you can have when you're 21 and older, and that's alcohol. We, would, we can create the same thing for cannabis. And, and growing up, we couldn't get alcohol. We could, you couldn't go up to someone who was 21 to say, here, will you take this $10 and get me some beer? No, they wouldn't do that. They, they made the, the fines big and you, you just it was a big you, deal. I mean yeah, I, just, I've gotten uh, some some older family members to get beer but a few times but it was always very awkward and like I'm, this is not a regular thing like they yeah. you had to beg it was hard to get alcohol it was not hard to get any other drug exactly. alcohol was the hardest one to get exactly. and I didn't really start abusing alcohol until I was after, after 21 once I could go to the bars I had a fake ID for a little bit and that got taken pretty fast yeah no it so by putting it on the illegal market we've made it easier for kids to get it. If you're worried about your kids getting drugs, you better be for legalization. Or, and, and if you're worried about your kids getting criminal records over smoking a joint, you better be for legalization. I mean, this is better for our kids. So that's one of his arguments. And he, it's a great book. I think everyone should read it. Um, really should. And um, Oh, and your, so your next book needs to be Lost Connections then. That's his next one. That's about depression and... Um, it gets into a lot of the drug problem and addiction problem in that book too, but it's more based on mental health and it's so good. He does yeah. such a good, same, same amount of effort. He, he's a very thorough journalist. Yeah, they, you know, they, there's so much stigma with mental health and people don't want to talk about the anxiety that, that they have and, um, and depression that they might have. And, uh, you know, we have, we see it when we talk about the mass shootings and they start talking about mental health a little bit and then it just kind of goes under the radar. But mental health is a huge deal. And if we can get people help that they need, all kinds of things would be better. We, we need to stop stigmatizing that and start paying for it. Yeah, we do. Well, Reagan cut all the um, public funding for mental health. And I know that our mental health, um, we, didn't, we didn't have a good track record for what we did in mental health in this country. Like the insane asylums um, did a lot, of, uh, like a lot of lobotomies. That was a very popular thing. Did you know? I mean, I, I don't know the exact years all this stuff happened, but so the guy who invented a lot of me about lobotomy, he won a Nobel Prize for it. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. And he, um, but so there was this one doctor though that got really good at doing lobotomies to where he, he could just come to your house and like, and what it would be is some guy like, my wife's acting crazy again, doc, let's just go ahead and do the lobotomy. 
she's and she's like on her she's you know having mood swings and we don't know what's going on just do a lobotomy I don't want a lobotomy you're getting a lobotomy and it was his choice not hers so the doctor comes over little tap at the corner of her eye and, and actually this is gross as hell but sucks the frontal lobe of her brain out through her oh eye my socket gosh. and leaves like all right she just had a little black eye afterwards and basically once you lose that frontal part of your brain it, it basically you're, a lot of your emotions go you just kind of go into just a bland person you're just like i don't really i'm not happy i'm not sad i'm not anything i'm just here and I mean, he did thousands of these across the country, just women that were just housewives that were probably miserable because they're stuck at home. They want to get a job. And the husband's like, no, women stay, the woman stays home and the man works. That's how it is. Well, I really want to do this. No, you stay home. And then they start drinking heavily. They're not happy. And the husband comes home and they're, and they're having mood swings. Like, we got to do something about these mood swings, doc. You mind come over and scooping a little bit of her brain out? Mm. What the hell? That's <laughs> telling you, we, our society is insane. When you think about things like that, the drug problems, the... And um, I, I don't know. There's so many problems in the world. And that's one thing I've been, I've been trying to watch the news to keep up with the war on drugs. And I do think the war on drugs is – that's the issue I'm fighting. That's the, but there are climate change. There's so many other issues out there that you can fight. So this is not the only issue. And I definitely – I'm not saying that. But this is the issue I'm choosing to fight because I think – I will say this. People, if they're in a better place in their lives, if they have more money in their pockets and they're not worried about where the next meal is going to come from or worried about how they're going to pay rent next month – They'll have time to care about the environment. They'll have time to separate the recycling. All these are things that you, you don't realize that in poor communities, they don't give a shit about recycling. They have other things to worry about. So what we need to do is get the level of uh, get more people in the middle class. And I'm telling you right now, legalizing drugs is going to bring money, jobs, and it's going to uh, we're going to save money that we're spending on arrests. And all these things are going to help create a healthier society. People will be, will you will, will see less addiction. Here's one thing he said in the book that I liked. He said. When you face the facts, this is something that was hard for him to face. He said, if you legalize drugs, you, drug use will go up. Just the same with alcohol. I said, alcohol prohibition, alcohol use was down under prohibition because a lot of people just will not break the law. It's illegal. I'm not going to do it. The problem is the people that were using it were much more likely to become addicted because the iron law of, pro of prohibition says that the, the, uh, the, the content of the drug is going to be higher in an illegal system because you're transporting alcohol, you're not gonna transport beer, you're gonna transport moonshine. And then some of the quality of the moonshine was they, they would brew it wrong and people were going blind. People were, you know, so, so it was a lot worse for the people and there was more addiction because you are more overdosed because you had to hide when you were doing it. So overall, what he said is if we legalize drugs, more people will do drugs, but less people will be addicted and way less people, almost zero, will overdose and die. What's the problem that you should have with me doing drugs? Oh, we don't want you to do it because you might get addicted or we don't want you to overdose. Those are the two biggest complaints. Well, that's going to go down. So that's all you need to worry about. Like, well, we don't want you doing it. Well, it's none of your fucking business what I do. It's yeah. not. If I said, well, I don't, you, I don't want you to go rock climbing because it's dangerous. You could fall, slip and, and, you know, you could get killed rock climbing. You're not allowed to rock climb. You'd be like, well, that's a risk I'm willing to take with my own body. I want to rock climb. It's a risk I'm going to take. It's, this is my life and I want to live it how I choose to live it. Mm -hmm. If you want to skydive, I love that kind of shit, you know. We should have the right to do these things that are dangerous. It's about your personal freedom. It is. It's your personal freedom to eat donuts all day long every day. And the doctor tells you you're dying of heart disease after eating pork all the time. I don't, I don't know. You can do whatever you want with your body. That's your body. And if I, and, and this is, we, I, I do think he talked about rethinking about the way that we look at drugs anyways. We, we automatically, because we were brainwashed to think drugs bad, drugs bad. But really, 
some drugs can be good. When you think about alcohol, you get together with your family, you have a few drinks, you're having a, a barbecue. It, it's nice. It's fun. It's enjoyable. It allows you to enjoy yourself more. Maybe you're kind of shy and reserved and you want to loosen up some. That's my choice if I want to do that. And if, if I was into smoking marijuana or cannabis, then it should be my choice if I want to. It, it, and, and I do think that the current... Uh, generations, even the baby boomers, you know, they all smoked a lot of weed. I, I think the misconception from the 30s and 40s during when prohibition was becoming a global standard for for uh, drugs, um, I think a lot of those have been just everyone's like, what? You don't go crazy when you smoke weed. I've smoked weed. Most people know that, that it's fine. But, you know, it, we need to let people that don't know that no, that you you don't go crazy. You you do just feel. I don't know. How how does it make you feel? A little paranoid for everybody, me. Everybody but. feels it differently. Some people don't enjoy it. I personally, I think it's a great. I, I I'll call it a medicine. I don't care. I don't think it should have to be a medicine for me to do it. But it is for me. It's a. If I if I find myself smoking, the more if I. Basically, I can judge how good I'm doing in my life with my weed I'm smoking and the amount of alcohol I'm drinking. If I'm smoking more weed than I'm drinking, I'm in a good place. I'm happy. I'm going to go a bike ride. I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to do fun things. If I'm drinking more, I don't like to get high because it, I, I want to kind of be in my own misery. I don't know what it is, but I just, like, I'm happy to be drunk. I don't want to have weed in my life. Weed, to me, is a great drug. Um, again, I don't like getting really high. I like getting a little bit high. Yeah, but people that we know used to use it for anxiety, and, and there's some people that it really does just make them calmer and they just feel better. They're not violent by any means. You're way more violent if you get drunk. I mean, you see bar fights, people know. That doesn't happen when you're high. When you're high, you are chilling. It is, yeah. it's fine. Alcohol is definitely a, a more dangerous drug. I like the story about the guy who, who led the fight for the first state that legalized Colorado. When he challenged, um, it was the mayor of Denver, which yeah. was uh, Hickenlooper, was it? I think Hickenlooper. Like he was, that, he's yeah. the guy who just ran for, he was running for president this last election, or for the primary. But um, he, he basically uh, brought a bunch, he challenged him to a duel in the middle of the streets. He sat on, he bought a bunch of beer and sat on like these cases of beer. It was like, I challenged him to duel at high noon. He said, in the Old West, that used to be a real thing. There was duels, you'd challenge and you'd have a shootout. But his duel was... I'm gonna smoke that he had bought a joint. He's like, you're gonna sit here and drink beer, cause cause Hickenlooper actually uh, made his fortune off of um, alcohol, like craft beers and stuff. So he's like, I'm gonna sit here, like, you you're gonna drink beer, and I'm gonna smoke joints, and we're gonna see who, who makes it the longest or something like that. Yeah. But of course, Hickenlooper never showed up to the challenge or anything. But that was the guy that first, and that, and that was interesting too about the different arguments for legalization. So his thing was, anything that you can substitute the word meth in the argument, we're not gonna use the argument. For instance, like. Weed is, uh, we need to legalize it because if it's on the black market, it's more dangerous. Well, you could also say that about meth. Meth will be, uh, should be legalized because it's more dangerous on the black market, which is true, and I'm for legalizing it. But his point was people aren't ready to legalize meth, so anything that you can say the meth argument with, we can't use. So his argument was marijuana is less harmful than alcohol, and that was his big, big platform. And then you go over to the other coast where Seattle and Washington, they're about to legalize, and the woman that fought for legalization there was extremely against marijuana. She didn't think it was a good thing, but she saw how detrimental the laws were. So she wanted to reverse it for that reason. So she used the underground drug market. Uh, she used all those other uh, mm -hmm. talking points, but both of the uh, both of the legalization happened in both those states almost uh, at different times, but very right around the same times they were happening, that the movement was happening. And, um, 
And it's crazy. You watch. It's happening across the country now. And, and Biden is doing nothing but disappoint me. Every single day that pot stays scheduled, I'm disappointed in our president because he yeah. that was one of the promises he get. And he's not talking about it now. Um, Harris isn't talking about it. And I honestly don't know. I'm wait, is it going to be a political move that they wait till right before the next election to make that change? Or are they just going to stop talking about it? They used it to get elected and they're done with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, yeah, I, it is anchoring. I, I do think um, that if you're like if you're listening to this and you're thinking, you know, well, what what steps should we take? Because I'm not down with legalizing just everything. I, I think everybody could get on board with legalization of marijuana. Um, just full legalization. You can sell it in, in a regulated market. That's good. And then I think we should decriminalize all of the rest of the drugs. Immediately decriminalize the yes. rest. And then I think drugs, I think the, if, if Oxycontin was something, if, you were, if you're an addict and you could go to your doctor and get a prescription for Oxycontin, the friend who I talk about who is addicted to the fentanyl and has to go to the methadone clinic would live a very productive life if he could go get a, a drug like Oxycontin and just take a pill. It would be a regulated dose. He knows what his tolerance is, and he and and with it comes counseling. Now he's getting counseling, and also once you're on the drug you like, they can start reducing the amount you take and try to get you off of it a lot easier than they can with methadone. So the, it, you could get people help, and I, and honestly, I want my friend back. I want somebody because I still talk to him all the time. He's funny. He's a great person, but he's just not always reliable. He doesn't always call me when he says he is. Sometimes I can tell he's really high. Some you know, so you just don't know who I'm. I don't know who I'm gonna get on the phone. Well, I, I want I want my friend back. And that's one way you could get back is if you get prescriptions. And that's where legal heroin and legal meth and all these things, ha how they happen. They don't happen by a store. You, go, you have to go to a doctor who specializes in addiction and these things, and he gets you the drug that you're addicted to, whether it be heroin or meth, but they get you, try to get you off of it. But some people will be on heroin the rest of their lives. And the countries like Switzerland that have legalized heroin through doctors, like same thing, yeah. some of those people will be on heroin the rest of their lives. And that's fine. That's their choice. Um, and, and, but if they're getting it from a doctor, they can live a pretty long and healthy life on heroin. It, yeah. sound, people, it sounds crazy when you say to people because we've been so brainwashed with so much propaganda that when you say legalize heroin, your head wants to explode. Like that's just the craziest, stupidest yeah. thing I've ever heard. It's not though. You have to look at the facts. Don't don't look don't look into your own memory of what you know about it because you don't know shit about it. You're you're all you're picking from is propaganda you were sold as a kid. Don't get all that crap in your head and look at the numbers. Look at the data because if you look at that, you're gonna go, holy shit, you're right. This is how we have to yeah. do it. And I'll say that the when you approached me with that. I, that's exactly what I thought. Well, they can't. That's crazy. Why would we do that? But but I also would, would plead to people, think of the people you know in your life. I mean, I actually know of one person who, who now is dead who had a heroin addiction and was using unclean needles and died in his 50s um, from hepatitis C. Um, I know another person who's currently alive that's a cocaine addict, also in their 50s. And... Um, you know, it's such an expensive habit. The family, you love these people. This is your, the family's so worried about him and they, they really want him to get cleaned up. They don't know what to do. He's isolated. Um, you know, he, he's got this expensive habit. We, he needs help. Real. He needs help. He doesn't need to go to jail. No, he doesn't. And the thing is, cocaine on the streets runs from 50 to $100 a gram. It's about $100 the last time I bought it, which was recently. Um, and um, it's expensive. If you and if you if you have, if you buy it by the eight ball or whatever, it's a little too. But anyway, fifty to one hundred dollars a gram. The price of a gram of cocaine. Doctor Carl Hart talks about it because he enjoys cocaine. He talks about it openly, but he doesn't go get it from the streets here. You know, he don't know where he gets his. He won't bring that up. But seven dollars a gram is the actual price of cocaine in Colombia. 
So seven dollars a gram. If if you say, so, I say I've said this before. If they legalize it, and then there's a markup for to pay to pay for the um, uh, mental health counseling that goes with the addiction, they say, all right, you're gonna pay twenty dollars a gram, and that includes your counseling. Yeah. That's twenty dollars a gram to fifty to hundred dollars a gram. That immediately is gonna take a weight off of you immediately. Yes. And then the counseling is immediately gonna help you figure out well, because something's going on. I promise you, it's not just the drug so addictive. The drug itself is destroying his life. There's something else underlying that addiction. Figure out that. What uh, Johan Hart talks about, I believe it's in his next book, he talks about um, this, uh, the analogy is, or the metaphor, is a building's on fire, and, imagine, and we see smoke, and we think the problem is, is the smoke. Blow the smoke away. And all you're doing is fanning the flames by trying to blow the smoke away. Yes. The house is on fire. You've got to put the fire out. Well, the drug abuse is the smoke. The house is on fire. You've got to put that fire out. Mm-hmm. The smoke will go away once you put the fire out. If you fix somebody, whatever it is that they're dealing with, that you put out that fire, the drug addiction will fade with it. And it happens, we, they've seen it uh, all, all across the, um, these countries that have legalized and decriminalized. They've helped people and seen their addictions fade away. And there's a, that small percentage of people that's just gonna be, gonna be addicted the rest of their lives. And the only way you can stop them is by is locking them in cages. And um, why the hell would we do that? Why don't we just let them have their drug? It's their body, it's their one chance at life. Let them enjoy it. Yeah. and and. The one that died of Hep C, it's it's when I hear about other countries that had heroin problems and they implemented clean needle programs, I I think that would have saved his life. We refused to do it here in the United States, and it would have saved his life. And it's not okay that we treat them like oh they're just a junkie, they're just a heroin addict. That's a person with a problem, and and and. They don't deserve to get AIDS and hepatitis C. They need help. But that's the way our, our system, uh, a lot of people think. They go, well, they shouldn't be doing drugs. Well, they shouldn't be doing drugs. Yeah, well, maybe you shouldn't be voting. I don't know. Like, yeah. Like, this is, people, people are doing drugs. Just get over it. Get the fuck over it. You don't have to do drugs. As soon as the government says you have to do meth, then, then there's a problem. Yeah. Nobody's saying you have to do drugs. Yeah. Just the person who's addicted, we need to help them. We need to, we need to make it safe. They need to be able to get the drugs that they need. They need to be able to get the help they need. And yeah. it's what it comes down to. And and here's one argument that he made. He talks about the Swiss uh, prescription program for people eligible over 18, um, where they can, he said, after they implemented the prescription program for drugs that were previously illegal to start, um, uh, what am I trying to say here? He said, either way, there were 55% fewer vehicle thefts, 80% fewer muggings and burglaries. It actually made other crimes go down uh, when they implemented that. And then he said, um, oh, one argument that he made was that it actually saves you money because you say, why should my taxpayer money go to help these people get off of drugs? Your taxpayer money already pays for the arrest, trying, convicting, and prison time. And, and it's you, way more expensive than offering help. And it's way more expensive. And it's, it's, uh, it's a human rights violation, honestly. It's a total human rights violation. But he said um, 35 uh, Swiss francs per patient per day compared to $44 per day arresting, trying, and convicting each drug user. So it literally saved the Swiss people money. It saves you money, their parks were cleaned up, the homeless were off the streets, and they're getting addicts the help that they need. It's a win-win for everybody. It really is, and that's another thing. Yeah, the homeless population, we can fix this, guys. And, and the thing is, if you look at these cities that that, are, that used to be beautiful, you're like, oh, the homeless, though, just the homeless part. I can't deal with that. It's Asheville, I can't deal with it because of the homeless. You're right, it's pretty getting pretty nasty out there, and there's syringes in the streets, there's all kinds of problems. 
But there's an easy solution, very easy solution. Starts with legalizing drugs and getting people help and then making government housing. And allowing, is another thing, these shelters and these government housing, if you have drug records or if you're a drug user, you can't use those, those amenities. Well, we need to open that up for drug users. And, and we can clean, we can fix Because that's problems. the main people that yeah. are, are now, on and, the street. And what I you mean, were saying about crime going down, because he talks about that in the book. When you, so if they, when every time you see an arrest, like, oh, we nabbed this drug kingpin guy, and everybody's like, yeah, we did it. You didn't do anything. All you did was create a war for the, who's going to get that position, and a bunch of people are going to die, and then the same drug, another pin's there selling the same shit. You literally did nothing except for cause a war. So, uh, so we look at Baltimore now. What happened with Baltimore when they, they just recently have ended or declared, it was a, what, what was her name? Uh, the DA of Baltimore. Um, anyway. She, um, I don't know her name. I just did, I did a little special talking about her. Anyway, she, um, she declared the war on drugs over and said they're no longer arresting for drug, uh, for drug possessions and even small-time drug selling they're not arresting, and including prostitution and other small crimes that are related to drugs they're not, they're not prosecuting anymore. And uh, the reason is is because they stopped prosecuting for those drugs during COVID because they were like, we don't, we got to get people out of the jails. We don't want people to get sick. So let's just, for the time being, stop prosecuting. They expect the crime to go up. Crime went down. They said, holy shit, we stumbled upon something that everybody could tell you is pretty simple science. If you stop arresting people and making them criminals, they won't be criminals for nonviolent things. We need to save our jail system and our, and even the whole system needs to be changed. But uh, it definitely needs to be for violent offenders. And even then, it needs to not be a system of punishment. It needs to be a system of figuring out why people are violent. Because a lot of people that are violent, that we say, oh, what a violent piece of shit, he hit his woman. Definitely, we need to stop that from happening. Definitely get women safe from abusive men. But something probably happened in that man's childhood that makes him act that way. Because it's not something that somebody just is like, I'm a happy, go-lucky person, had a great life, and I'm gonna come home and just smack my woman in the face. Something's going on there. So I'm not saying we don't charge them for these things. We definitely do. We charge them, we figure out, how to get the, these violent things to stop. But the best way is not gonna be to lock them in a cage with a bunch of other men who are also violent and let them fight it out and then let them back out on the streets and not be violent. That's gonna create a more violent person. So instead, I need to look at a rehabilitation system. And, and with the only exception of, of murderers, especially like serial killers like Ted Bundy, yeah, we, we, we execute those people, but we do it humanely. Hey, you can't live here anymore. Sorry, didn't work out for you. Here's a very clean injection. You're put to sleep. You're out of this world. You can't have you running around stabbing women for no reason. Um, but for most people who are like, figure out what's going on with them. It shouldn't be a system of punishment. It should be a system of rehabilitation. But everybody's like, well, then people aren't going to have any reason not to do anything bad. Well, they, they don't seem to let it stop them it, right now. They're not like, well, I can't do that because I might go to jail. Most people are just not going to break the law because they're not going to do things that are wrong. They're just like, that's not me. Yeah, he, he uh, followed in the book a, a scientist, I think he was, Gabo, he talks about a lot. And he, I had written down this quote. He said, the core of addiction is in the pain you feel in your head. We've built a system that thinks we will stop addicts by increasing their pain. And well, that's a good one. yeah, um, that is exactly what we've done. He said, if I had to design a system to increase addiction, I would create this exact system that we have. Attack them, ostracize them, alienate them. More stress equals more use. It's, that's just the way it is. So, so he, he's saying that this whole idea that it's the chemical hook, um, he, uh, is not true. It's actually isolation and trauma. And yeah. um, he, he specifically talks about, and I thought this was really interesting, uh, the nicotine patches. Because he said it gives you the chemical. So it's a perfect example. It's giving you the chemical you need. So why is there only a 17% success rate if it's the chemical hook 
there should be a hundred percent success rate you don't have to smoke anymore so it's so it's in a way he's not saying it's not the chemical hook he's saying 17 percent of the time it's the chemical hook the other 83 percent of the time it, there's other factors and that's what he looked at and what he ultimately discovered is it's isolation and trauma and i was thinking as i was reading this because we're in the covid times and the kids a year ago got you know they went to school and they saw their friends and then we said okay no more friends no more school you're gonna stay home for the next year so some people didn't do it some people didn't but a lot of people did and it made me wonder if if isolation and trauma creates an addict i wonder if 10 years from now we're gonna have a lot more addicts i mean oh i would i would i would count on it yes it's gonna be a thing because a lot of people especially people as i'm thinking i'm married to a wonderful woman we spent COVID together in our home, cooking out together with our dogs, and it was a pretty fun time. And also, Florida was only shut down for two months, and we all went back to work. Mm-hmm. Some other people who don't have somebody they love who were told to stay home by themselves in places like New York, where it wasn't just two months, it was eight months, and they're still not fully reopened. And they really just were by themselves. And, and also, I imagine you really feel that aloneness, because before, you, ever, you, know, you might be alone every night, you might be kind of on the brink of having a breakdown sometimes but you get to go to work and you get to see people and you get to hang out mm-hmm. now you're not you're hanging out by yourself and um technology is a very artificial way to hang out with these you know facetime and all this stuff and uh, it, i think it's better than nothing I, i'll say i had fun t- fun conversations with my friend on some of these apps played games with them but it's nothing beats the human touch the experience and i think on a visceral level we, we feel that uh, almost subconsciously the animal in us needs that human connection and, and we're not being fooled by a screen the same way when you show your dog like I'm Megan FaceTimes me and I'm like hey Reggie and I try to show her face the dog doesn't even see it he doesn't understand that that's her that's not her yeah. he needs a person well at some level we 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 understand our we're smart intelligence understand this is the person you talk to him but that that human connection somehow is lost in that I, I believe I think that's why when we exist on social media more than we exist in real life we're going to see depression and addiction go up yeah i it really scares me even i have a son colton and he's seven and um even as we've we my husband and i were both vaccinated and we're coming back out into the world you know um but he's still just if we go to a playground and like he he's clinging to his mask and he wants to wear it and he's like hiding behind me and he's scared of people and i think man this has really messed him up um it's it's gonna be hard to get him back okay with being around people and um it was a crucial it was crucial age that your kids were at when this this happened yeah it's it's scary so so then you know since we've been vaccinated and most adults that are either currently in the middle of their vaccine doses or already have been vaccinated the ones that are choosing to do so um so I feel like, you know, at this point, if you chose not to get vaccinated, number one, that is ridiculous because that's just if all If everybody got thing. vaccinated, this thing would be wiped out. Yes. If everybody, if, as soon as it's available, you should get your vaccination. Uh, but at the same time, we live in a country that's all about personal freedom, which is very ironic because of the drug war. I mean, it makes no sense. But we have this like, it's my right not to get this vaccine. It's my right. I'm, I'm, you know, it's all about yeah. their personal freedom. And they don't consider the fact that you not doing something is actually going to affect your neighbor. It's going it to get does. this. It means that, it that we'll have to continue to get the shot every year because this thing, it'll still exist because of all the people not getting vaxxed. Yeah. But they think it's the government trying to come plant a chip in you. They already planted a chip. It's something you carry around in your hand everywhere you go called a phone. I know. They, they don't need to spy on you. And if, if they wanted to, if they wanted to, uh, you know, 
put a chip in you, they would just they could have done it through your vaccines. It's just the dumbest thing. We don't have that technology. How how they they think that we have like nanobots are a thing to the future, <laughs> but they don't exist yet. They're they're going to be around soon. But I'm telling you right now, they think that we figured out that science is way like they're living in a science fiction fantasy. They have not figured out a way to put microchips in a vaccine where they can control you with a I don't know what these crazy people think, but the thing is. It's a vaccine that's going to prevent you from getting COVID and spreading COVID. And if everybody got it the way that polio vaccine went out, we eradicated polio, right? It's gone. Yes. Am I right? Second one? Um, or smallpox. 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 Yeah. Polio's, we're getting there, right? Yeah. yeah. I think, I I think polio kind of made a comeback when people stopped the anti-vax movement with um, autism. Yeah. So, so, so polio's made, I think, started to come back a little bit. But we've almost knocked that out. The World Health, Health Organization is almost there. But they did it with smallpox, completely eradicated because everybody got vaxxed. If this COVID thing, which I'm telling you right now, I'm fucking over it. I hate it. We yeah. all do. We yes. all do. And if you want to get over it, I'm, I've got my first round. I get my second round in May. If everybody gets their vax, this thing is done. Yeah. But most of you listening are, are probably sitting right now shaking. The ones that you are not getting vax are shaking your head like, <laughs> good luck with that. And it's like, yeah. I don't know what you think But I just feel bad for my kids because it's an ongoing thing. They are not vaccinated. And... I don't want to have to get them vaccinated. I wish all the adults would just go get vaccinated. But, um, you know, it's not really affecting kids like it was adults, but I still, I have, uh, it's just a concern, you know, so. Of course. It's, it's terrible, but. Yeah, I mean, this COVID thing's affected, um, actually we talked about it in the last podcast, we touched on it briefly with Gretchen. She, Gretchen Bourbon, my last week's guest, it was a great conversation. My cousin Jackie introduced us. She's the head of um, lead organizer for Moms United in the War on Drugs. But we did talk about the COVID, how they've had a lot more overdoses since then and a lot more addiction because they, they, she spreads uh, drug Narcan around the country. Her and moms uh, make it, said if you have a loved one who's an addict, you need to have Narcan on you. And you can get it. Uh, Final Florida has a program for it. I think most states do. Uh, I don't see why it would be illegal. You can't get high on it. All it does is block your opiate receptors. From, mm-hmm. So immediately, immediately makes you sober. And... Um, we did talk about the phenomenon of addicts that will overdose after getting Narcan because Narcan binds on your opioid receptors and stops your opiate from, from being able to, to so you, you immediately go into withdrawal because you don't have opiate. So what they'll do is they'll immediately go and, and use again. But Narcan's half-life is half that of an opiate. So the Narcan fades away, the original opiate you, you overdosed on is still in there, some of it. So that comes back, and then the new dose you did comes back, and now you're overdosing, you're dead. So they make sure to, to do the right training with Narcan. Like after you give an addict Narcan, you have to stay with them, you have to call a paramedic, you have to make sure that they don't go use right, right away again. Uh, but it's just a great, she saved almost 2,000 lives on, that, are, that were actually reported. So there's ways to save people, but the, the thing that, that I hate the most about this, because it's a great thing, everybody, if you have an addict, should have Narcan on hand, but there's a better way to do this legalize and get people the right drugs they won't be overdosing in the exactly. first place yeah. so it's just like it's a way that like you have moms united out there preventing deaths that they know can be prevented if you did the stupid war but you're like no one's listening so i guess i'll keep keep you know trying to rest resuscitate my son until you fix figure out this fucking problem yeah so many people have lost loved ones to this drug war it's senseless. our neighbor remember it's, it's oh i do i know one of our neighbor's sons he was in high school 18 and he had mm-hmm. he ate a, a large pill of uh, a large dose of oxycontin i think it was and mm-hmm. but he died and and i mean that family's that they'll never be the same once you yeah. lose someone in your family does every family thanksgiving there's there's an empty there's a hole there that you're never going to fill yeah. and the thing that, again that sucks the worst is the right education i mean that like the whole mindset on drugs needs to be changed and yeah. and 
Well, that's yeah. what they said in Portugal, that some of the, the cool, oh, I'm doing drugs, I'm a badass, goes away once you legalize. It's not like a cool yeah. thing. Now it's like, I'll do drugs if I feel like it's right for me at the right time, but it's not like a, ooh, I'm yeah. cool, I'm doing drugs, I'm you know, living that life. It's kind of like a, you feel like a rebel. Take yeah. that away. Let's not make it cool. Drugs aren't cool. They're just a tool. <laughs> I didn't mean it wrong. That sounded really <laughs> stupid. But um, but they are. They're a tool that we can use. And for me, like ecstasy is a great drug. If you get it pure, I'm scared of ecstasy right now because it has fentanyl in it. But if you have ecstasy and you want to have a, a great night with your loved one, um, it's a great drug to share an experience with. And it really can bring people together, connections, uh you know, it makes you feel connected to each other. Um, same with mushrooms for me. I like, I love to do mushrooms for different reasons, but to me, mushrooms is a great, great healer for just um, a term I love that Michael Poland, I believe, used. I'm not sure if it was him, but um, the betterment of well people. Just because I'm not sick doesn't mean I don't need to feel better. We, being, you know, there's a, we, we, we have a very low st- uh, bar set for how we're supposed to feel happiness. It's like happiness means you make it to work every day. You're good. That's, that means you're happy. Well, I'm a little depressed. All right, well, we can give you an SSRI. Any drug sanctioned by Big Pharma, you can have. But you want to self-medicate with a plant that comes from nature that's been here way before this system, yeah. <laughs> we'll take you to jail. Um, yeah. I think I want to set up self-medicate. I want to do mushrooms. I want to uh, smoke a little pot. Um, some people I know like to do cocaine. It gets them through whatever it is. Uh, that they're doing, and I, and I don't know. I'm I'm talking about lawyers, doctors. I've done uh, uh, pure cocaine with my friend who's a um, plastic surgeon, or I should say, my friend's boss is a plastic surgeon, and his boss had a way to to take out the impurities of cocaine. He actually would like, I don't know what he did to it, but he get made it pure. And I did one little bump of that. This guy's like a a 65 year old surgeon. And he's a bad, that guy's a house like Sanibel house in downtown. Like he's a rich dude, and he just does likes to do blow on the weekends. He's not an addict. He just yeah. enjoys it. And there's really nothing wrong with that. You're, you're an autonomous adult. You make your own decisions. The government doesn't see it that way because here in the land of the free, freedom only goes so far. Basically, we're talking about guns and the uh, freedom to exploit other countries and to kind of make, make as much money as you want to make. And the freedom to not take a vaccine that the whole world's dealing with the virus right now. You yeah. got that freedom. Yeah, you definitely have. Yeah, but you can't get high. No, it's almost like, like honestly... But again, I don't, you know, I don't want to get off tangents on yeah, I, should, that. No, I don't want to be like, you know, they should actually make people take vaccines. I don't want to go there because some of my audience might be like, yeah, you lost me on that. Because <laughs> people aren't willing to give up these freedoms. But, but you got to think about this. If you're all about your personal freedom, then you need to understand the, the biggest one is your right to choose the consciousness that you want to experience. Yeah. And if you can, uh, 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 you know. And one last thing I was going to say, he does talk about if we legalize marijuana now on Friday night, uh, Instead of you got the choice, alcohol or weed, what do I want to do? Some people are going to make the switch from alcohol, which is a worse drug, to weed, which is not as bad of a drug. That's true. So, so it, even though the overall use, as you were talking about, might go up, it, it actually evens it out because well, yeah, now well, you're not doing exactly. Alcohol. We said we said the studies that came out said that uh, that drug use had went up in places that legalized marijuana. He said, but the reason that that study's flawed is because they don't consider alcohol drug use. So the drug use might have stayed the same if they looked at, well, how many people that started using pot that didn't smoke pot before switched from alcohol? So you might just see a leveling off of a healthier mm-hmm. a healthier drug. But instead yeah. they just say drug use went up because pot's a drug. Alcohol's a drug too. The term drugs and alcohol needs to go away. It's drugs and drugs. Yeah. And alcohol's Absolutely. one of the worst. Um, but again, it doesn't mean I'm saying we should outlaw it. We, 
you know, anybody listening knows we don't want alcohol. We enjoy alcohol. I like to have a drink. You shouldn't. The government does. I don't need the government, big brother, coming in and telling me what's good for me. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. As long as what I'm doing isn't hurting somebody else. If I get drunk and then I drive and I, I run a stop sign and, and kill somebody, the government gets to say, no, you're going to jail because you killed somebody doing something that we've told you that you cannot do. And that's because it's going to hurt somebody else. Do I, dis- do I disagree with that law? No. Um, I think that we need to re- figure out a better system to handle the by which I think the best system is going to happen organically with self-driving cars. That's around the corner. Can't wait for it. Drunk driving will go down to zero. But until then, you shouldn't be dr- driving drunk. The podcast I just released last week, me and Will both talked about driving too drunk in times in our lives. We have. I don't. Rec- I think it's a horrible thing. But I do think that when it comes to doing drugs at your own home, I do not need the government telling me what's good for me. I, what I need is the, the government to be there, which the government is the people, right? That's us. We all throw in on this. So what I need the government to work for is making it safe. Making it, making sure that I'm not going to go buy something that's going to kill me. That's what the FDA is for. When I go to the grocery store and I buy a, a box of Cheerios or something, I don't have to worry about maybe I got the wrong box and I'm going to die of, a, you know, of some kind of crazy bacterial infection because it's regulated and it's safe for consumers. I need them to extend that courtesy to drugs because I personally like to consume drugs and I want to make sure I'm getting safe. We have that with marijuana now. Marijuana was always pretty safe though because it was just a cheap drug for them to make. And I'm going off yeah. on tangents here, but. Um, yeah, I guess we'll wrap this up because we are at Siesta Key, one of the most beautiful beaches in Florida, if not the, and uh, we're about to go down to the water and spend the rest of the day on the ocean because it's 520 and it'll be dark in two hours and I want to see the beach again because this is my last night here to spend with my sister and her lovely family and my wife is down at the pool with her husband and two children right now. So we're going to go join them and then head to the beach. Okay. But it was a great conversation with you and I'm so happy you read that book. She's, every time I talk to her, she, she's on, she, now she gets the, my, my, the, my whole point of this podcast is, you know, fight the war on drugs. At first, she was like, didn't really, you didn't really understand that it was... Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I feel like I was a little close-minded about it. I didn't realize what I didn't know. Exactly. I and didn't that's a, know that And that's what know. this podcast is for. The problem is, I think the way I market it with my peace on drugs thing is that everybody that's listening is already on board. <laughs> yeah. People that don't like drugs aren't listening to my podcast. But... I'm giving the people ammunition. When they, if you listen to my podcast, when you hear somebody say something ignorant, I'm giving you ammunition, a talking point that we said. You can be like, oh, what about this? Mm-hmm. And that's what we're doing. Let's, 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 let's inform the public. Let's change the Educate. perception. Educate. And I, uh, one thing that, um, what was I listening to? Or was it in the book where they had to get a petition to change the law? It was in the book. That to change the law in California, they needed like three, uh, not California, um, Colorado, they needed like 300,000 signatures. It did make me think, like, how many signatures do we need in North Carolina? Maybe we can actually do something. I well, mean, I know in Florida, we needed, uh, for, to, for legalization to happen here, we needed 800 and something thousand. And we only got 500,000. And they start, and I signed the petition, luckily, that I got right before COVID, I signed it. And I guarantee they would have got enough signatures, had everything not shut down for those two months. But it went yeah. to the it went to the um, the Florida um, court, Florida Supreme Court anyway, and they shut it down. It's not gonna, it, and it was just to get it on the ballot. Yeah. And um, they can't even get legalization on the ballot in 2022 because they shut it down because they said the wording will confuse voters because it, it said legalized marijuana. It's still federally illegal. They'll think that they're, what they're doing is not illegal federally. Uh, give us a little more credit than that, fucking assholes. And I know. And, and also Biden. Hey. Yeah. If you had if you already done what you said, what you've done, that wouldn't have been a point they could have used. Yeah. So um, let's yeah. do this shit. I wish yeah. Biden listened to this. There's no chance. Um, <laughs> and not that he'd care anyway. Apparently, the only thing he's done for the, helping the war on drugs is fire people that previously used marijuana in his own uh, staff. So, no, what a dick. All right, let's um, let's wrap this thing up. Thank you for being on the podcast. Yeah. Love you. Thanks. Love you too. Peace, Peace out. out. Peace out. Peace out. Bye. Bye.